Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Okay, we are live. Welcome to episode 70 of the Team House. I'm Jack Murphy here with co-host David Park. Uh, we are joined tonight by our guests, Joe and Diane. They both served in Army Psychological Operations, or PSYOP. We're going to have a big brawl about whether it's PSYOP or PSYOPs. That'll come in a little bit. Um, but Army Psychological Operations, uh, they met each other in the military, still pals, and today they uh, do their own podcast called Sisters in Arms, uh, which really highlights female military veterans. So... We're going to talk to them tonight all about their military careers, how they met in the Army, um, about psychological operations, what that is, their own experience in PSYOP, and, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about you know, what they're trying to do with their podcast and trying to highlight female veterans out there. So, uh, Joe and Diane, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. So we usually start off the show by having our guests sort of explain their origin story. And I was just wondering if you could tell us, you know, where you came out of, how you found your way into the Army. How, what, what was that all about for you? Um, I'll, whoever wants to go first, you can jump right in. I'll go first. Okay, good. <laughs> Based on Diane's face. <laughs> um, I was born and raised in Idaho, uh, middle of nowhere, southern Idaho. I... Um, worked my way up to put myself through Boise State. I graduated with a bachelor's in anthropology, which there's four areas of anthropology, which is archaeology, which is the most known. There's cultural anthropology, physical anthropology, and linguistics. And um, so when the time came for me to graduate and I didn't know what I wanted to do, um, I was talking to my grandfather who was in world or he was in um, the army in airborne in between kind of world war two and Korea when they were doing a lot of experimenting and um, 
I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and I had a lot of student loan debt. So I joined the army and I basically went to the recruiter and I had a high enough ASVAB score and everything that I, he's like, you can pick whatever you want. And I said, well, which one is leaving the closest to the day I'm done with my last final at Boise state. And that was PSYOP. So I, um, I didn't even graduate or I didn't even walk. I just handed in my last final and I left for Fort Jackson. And to me, it made sense. Um, PSYOP is the study of cultures because you have to know those cultures to be able to influence them. So it made sense to me in my head, at least it, it transitioned well from anthropology to, to PSYOP. And I went through all the training and met Diane. I think we were a few AIT classes apart, and then we ended up going through the schoolhouse for um, like jump school and then language school pretty close together. And then she pretty much took this awkward, introverted kid who didn't know what she was doing and adopted her, and the rest is on our podcast. <laughs> Diane, why don't, why don't you pick it up? How, how did you find your way into the military? Um, so I guess I kind of stumbled into it. I um, grew up in San Diego, California, and like most San Diego girls, ended up marrying a Marine out of Camp Pendleton, and um, it didn't go so well. So um, after a while, it was kind of like, I have to do something because we were just bouncing from and he got out of the Marines and then we were just bouncing from dead end job to dead end job. And I, I don't know, I got, I'll try the military and it seemed like a safe route to go. So I joined and I just, I don't remember having a conversation with the recruiter about what job I wanted to do. It was like, please just take me. <laughs> And I fell into PSYOP and I, I don't know, it worked very well for me. I ended up doing quite well in the military and my home life wasn't so great. And thankfully the NCOs that I had um, really helped me out and helped me stand on my own feet because um, it was not going to be a situation that I would have survived if I didn't have people that cared enough to stand up and, and make sure that I was okay. Um, and I was able to escape a really dangerous situation. And, um, Joe helped me a lot from that. <laughs> she, um, didn't even hesitate to take my kids. Um, I was deployed and all of a sudden, um, my kids were going to be taken by CPS. So it was really, um, it was an extremely difficult situation to be in because, you know, obviously you want to do your job and you want to do your job well, but, um, it, you can't focus on that when your, your family is, um, hurting and, and especially your children are not in a safe place or safe environment. Um, so thankfully I had Joe there. She took my kids obviously like without hesitation and I was able to get back on my feet, but you know, the, my experience in PSYOP, um, I felt like it was a very good base for me because I, I was used to already 
um, trying to figure out what other people wanted Mm -hmm. and what their motivations were and trying to make myself sort of fit in that environment. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have, I mean, I joined the military because I didn't want to go to school. I didn't feel smart. I didn't feel like I could do anything. And then here I was in this environment like, oh God, I actually can do this. And this is kind of fun. Um, so once I got, you know, stable, I, I deployed again and that deployment was just, it was fun. So doing PSYOP stuff and saying it was fun, I kind of feel like maybe I shouldn't admit that. Um, <laughs> but, um, I don't, you know, I don't feel like I was a part of anything that was, um, you know, I guess negative or, you know, people would look at later on and say that was, that was awful. I can't believe you were a part of that. Um, the, the work that we did there, um, was not really stuff that I can talk about, but, um, I felt like, you know, having my crash course through Arabic and then being able to, you know, create these products to influence people to, um, be able to safely interact with the U S military so that we were, you know, experiencing less civilian casualties felt really good to me. Um, so after, um, my return from that deployment, um, we were getting geared up to ready to deploy again. And that was really difficult because at that point I was a single mom and, uh, I couldn't, I just, I couldn't do that. There was too much change and everything. So I decided to see what else was out there. And I sort of fell into career counseling and I'm super happy with that job change. Um, I absolutely love what I do. I don't, I, I get to talk to soldiers about their careers and their, their plans and, um, talking to a young soldier who probably, you know, is just existing sort of like I was back then and getting them to think about their future and, and what their end game is, um, you know, whether that's in the military or not. Um, I really enjoy it. So this is like, sounds like a super hardcore situation that you were getting deployed and it, it was kind of like you're getting deployed and CPS is going to take your kids. I mean, this is like the hardest thing you're ever going to have to deal with in life. And yes. Joe steps <laughs> up and takes the kids so that you can deploy to combat. I mean, holy shit. It was bad. The, um, the school called our battalion at one point and said, this is the last step before we call somebody else. And I happened to be the one that picked up I was in the office that day at the battalion and I happened to pick it up and they, and I, I don't know what planets were aligned or who was looking out for who that I was the one that answered the phone that day. Because at that time, I don't know if all of the, the leadership knew how close we were and would have, you know, passed it on to me. So it was a, <laughs> it was a rough situation, but I was glad that I was be able you know, cause then I could go get the kids and it worked out that our leadership understood. And they said, your place of duty is playing with Diane's kids until we get her back. So wow. yeah. But, but how come, I mean, I, I got to ask though, like how come the army insisted on deploying you when you were in that situation? I didn't really tell anybody. It was embarrassing. Wow. So um, it it was something that I really struggled with. Um, the housing manager, I remember after the final time of, you know, like, this is it, we're actually done. Um, my NCO took me to housing to get the door locks changed. And the lady 
was like, oh, this is, we've been through this so many times with them and was very dismissive about it. And it's, it was really demeaning, you know, to, to struggle with that situation. You know, I have a real heart for women who go through and men um, who go through a struggle like that, because it is something that you want to keep private. It's not something, you know, you want to share with anybody. Right. Um, and I just, I tried to do the best I could. And, um, unfortunately my attempt at holding everything together kind of fell apart when I was gone. So, um, I mean, it's also a testament to your chain of command that they were so supportive because that's not something that you often see, uh, in the military. No. They're more of the opinion that if they wanted you to have a family, they would have issued you one, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Sorry. I had a phone call one time and, um, I called my commander, um, at that time, um, because it was a very serious situation. And he, I mean, he showed up at my house, but the MPs, everybody showed up at my house and, um, I'm still, uh, you know, friends with, um, him today, um, obviously through social media and whatnot, but, um, the, I think the good experiences that I've had for the army definitely outweigh the negative yeah. ones. Like I've, I've met so many people that, um, just would drop everything and help me. And, and it, it was so amazing considering like, I didn't have that through my life. Like it was kind of like figure this, this stuff out. So yeah, that's squared away. So <clears throat> you guys, so what is, if we rewind it, what, what is like the, um, PSYOP AIT, like how long is it? What, what, how do they train you to be a propagandist? And, and what is psychological operations? Yeah. You gotta go through and, I'm, and I'm kidding about the whole propagandist thing. I'm, I'm joking. Well, I mean, so for those that don't know, um, I'm sure if they're watching your podcast, they probably do, but special operations is like an umbrella over several MOSs, several jobs. So you've got the special forces, you've got psychological operations, you've got civil affairs, you've got, I don't think the Rangers kind of fall under there. Yeah. Um, and so you've got all these different MOSs that fall under special op special operations and psychological operations is one of those um, soft jobs. Um, the 30 second elevator pitch is that PSYOP is getting what other people getting other people to do what you want them to do but having them think it's their idea to do it and if we do it it's psyop if the bad guys do it it's propaganda and if civilians do it it's marketing <laughs> so um that's obviously the the huge over overlook and it's a lot more complicated than that um according to my mother it's what women have been doing to men since the beginning of time um, but it's a, it's a tool that can be used to either influence the, the battle space in the way that the command wants it to go, or it's a tool to disrupt things if they want it to go. It's a tool to save lives. It's a tool to disrupt. It's a tool that can really be used. Your imagination is the limit of what, of where and how PSYOP can be used. Um, it's getting to know the cultures better than they know themselves so that you know how to influence them based on the mission. Uh, I, we were talking a little bit about, uh, about this before we, we got started. 
and how I think there's a lot of misconceptions about psyops. Uh, there's a lot of that. It also, it's the army itself. It's not our psyop. Psyop. <laughs> I like psyops plural because I think we should have more than one. We shouldn't just do one psyop and then go home. We should have multiple. <laughs> Uh, Diane and I did so many push-ups in the schoolhouse because if you called it psyops, you had to push. That I think that's one of those things will be ingrained in us until we're old and drunk in a nursing home together <laughs> that you don't put the S on it because we don't want to do push-ups. The uh, and, and, you know the the misconception even <laughs> I had like when, when I was in uh, when I was in Ranger Battalion and we'd be we do training exercises, the tactical psyop guys would come out with these loudspeakers and they would like play sounds of like cats meowing for hours and hours like meow meow and it'll go on like this for hours and hours so if you ask me like hey private murphy what's psyop like, oh yeah it's those weirdos that come out with the loudspeakers and they play cats meowing for hours on end but there's obviously <laughs> there's a lot more to this career field and what the two of you did and your, and your peers did um could you Tell us, like, for real, beyond the Private Murphy explanation, what is it that psychological operations does? Well, it depends on the mission. Um, sometimes it's just plain old leaflets out of the back of a helicopter in a, in a black plastic bag telling people to surrender. Um, sometimes it's traveling through some crazy neighborhoods with the speakers telling people that the people you're listening to are bad guys and you should not listen to them. Um, sometimes it's giving kids soccer balls so that that generation doesn't hate us. Um, sometimes it's the tactical guys going out with, you know, their, whoever they're attached to at the time to, kind of just chat up the locals and see what they got going on it it really um i don't know diane i was gonna say sometimes it's making terrorists cry but that sounds really negative and awful <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's playing barney on the loudspeakers until people cry <laughs> i never stared at goats and i never played music repetitively to anyone <laughs> So when you, uh, for the AIT, like what, what types of things do you train? Because I'm sure the mission differs a lot. And when you go to, when you go to your AIT, that's just sort of the, the foundation of what you need to know. But like when you went to your AIT, like what, what do they teach you there? What are some of the topics that? Well, full disclosure, Diane and I went in the early 2000s. So I'm sure a lot has changed. Um, you got your basic few, you know, week or few days of PSYOP history, everything from, oh God, Hannibal and the elephants to the Trojan War and the, the, you know, the Trojan horse. You got your, what is PSYOP? And then you start learning about how to research cultures a lot of it is nerd stuff like honestly if psyop is holding the line in a in a battle things have gone seriously wrong like a lot of it is nerd research and that's where i excelled because i can research something like through and through until the day i die and and i like that um a lot of it is you know, we learned a little bit of the tactical stuff in the schoolhouse. You learned how to put the speakers together. The, oh God, I don't even remember the acronyms. The big ones and the little ones and the ones on your back. Um, 
you learned how to interact with locals um you learned how to negotiate you learned how um you learned a lot of um design stuff because you do have 25 mics on your team usually when you deploy but they wanted you to have a, a baseline in case i don't know something happened and so you learned how to make leaflets with the picture close enough to the edge that they can't be manipulated by other people but not so close that when you have third country nationals cutting them it doesn't cut off part of the, the message and um you basically just get the the basics and then you really like any i think like any other job any other mos even civilian jobs you get your basics in the schoolhouse and then you show up to your first job and you're like yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. And then you learn on the job. Was... Wait, let, go ahead. I'm sorry. Diane. Oh, I was going to say, we also learned a lot about target audiences and, you know, being able to decipher who you're looking at um, and who influences that target audience. Um, and it is a lot of research. I mean, you're like... Yeah. like crazy and getting into very questionable al-qaeda websites to get information um but you know compiling all that and being able to see where your points are that you can influence a certain uh group that you need to to target um it's actually pretty interesting so it is good for nerds i guess <laughs> well like if your target is actually 18 year old males in southern iraq then who are you actually going to be targeting? Those 18-year-old males probably aren't going to listen to you, but if you can talk to their moms and their aunties, and their moms and their aunties are going to influence them, that's the stuff that you learn how to do. Is like, okay, so maybe a direct message isn't going to affect your target audience, but you learn enough about your target audience and your cultures to figure out, okay, so who is going to have an influence on that target audience? That's very interesting. So, how long was that training? Uh, God, it felt like forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, see, I graduated sixteen weeks. I want to say maybe twenty. Um, I honestly don't remember because everything after basic AIT blends into jump school and jump school blends into right language, into language. Yeah. and it, you're in that pipeline for about a year. So, and that's not, and now I know that they've, um, when we were going through, they didn't include SEER. You had to go to SEER later, but SEER is part of the pipeline now. So that's another, however many weeks. And the reason why you have to go to SEER and jump school and all of that, it, that's for the tactical PSYOP teams. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, uh, could you explain a little bit about that? I mean, maybe we're getting into deployments now, but maybe the difference between a tactical PSYOP team and uh, I don't know what you guys call it, a strategic? I don't know. You tell me. A regional, yeah. Um, some of it is just so that you can wear the red beret. Um <laughs> and distinguish yourself from other people and say you're special um some of it is tactical but i mean the last tactical psyop mission where they got that muster state on their wings was world war ii i mean i think i could be wrong it's happened before but it's been a while maybe vietnam i was thinking vietnam but vietnam okay yeah um 
so tradition um and to make ourselves distinguished from other intel you mean from the legs yeah, from the legs and from other Intel MOSs. You you can say dirty, nasty legs on on. The- <laughs> we, we don't I mean, they are, but they can also walk, and it takes. I struggle to walk up the stairs in the morning, so I don't know who's the winner in this. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, so did you guys, you guys didn't go to AIT at the same time, right? Like there was, uh, there was, you met at the unit that you went to? We met, because, we met, because I was a holdover. I had, um, yeah, so I was a holdover because of my um, constant drama in my life. Um, I went to jump school. after about six months postpartum, I was able to finally go to jump school. And um, we went together. We weren't in the same company. Um, and then we came back and then we went to language school. And we weren't in the same language class, even though we both learned Arabic. Um, but, you know, we were in yeah. the same circles for quite a while. We, she, I was like three or four classes behind you because you were a holdover because of all the because life yes. um and then after that you know airborne school everything matched up and i can look at her tran- her i love me book and kind of it's the same as mine for quite a few years <laughs> so let's get into uh this is the team house let's start talking about some of these deployments that you guys went on and what it's like to actually do your job Well, I sat at a computer. It was very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> I had a lot of phone calls and a lot of time on the computer. Yeah, I had, um, I don't know, I, I had a different experience, I think, because I got to be, you know, part of the the cool guy stuff, and I got um, a JSOC patch out of the deal. So depending on, I guess, who sees that patch because i've had a lot of people like oh you know when did you deploy with them and i'm like oh well i was inside and they're like, oh that means a lot of things to a lot of different people and that's basically like i see that as like my fuck you okay thanks yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay all right i feel like i got to to earn it maybe not on the same level um i can respect you know people's feelings about that um the fact that you know i left the wire but I wasn't on the ground when I left the wire. So, you know, however you want to look at that, I wasn't like attached to the teams. Like some of my friends were out there running around in, in Iraq, but um, I still feel like I was able to provide a good impact um, towards our mission. When, when you went, uh, did you, when, what year did you guys and both, when did you deploy when, or when did it was the first time you went? 2007. Did did you feel as though, particularly for the PSYOP community, did you feel as though they had a firm grasp on their mission set at that point in time? They they knew what they were doing. They had everything in place. Or were they still sort of, you know, relearning how to do this in a wartime environment? 
Well, for me, I mean, I came into a well-established team and they, they were very clear on their mission. Um, and, you know, as tasks came in and as our mission sort of changed while I was there, I didn't feel like it was a hot garbage mess. Yeah. Um, I was a specialist at the time. And so, um, you know, being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. My understanding of what was really going on obviously was very limited. Um, as it came down, it was just like, you make this, okay. And that's what I did. So um, I didn't, I, I thought it looked like they knew what they were doing. But like I said, my perspective at that time was, was this E4 that was just there. So. <laughs> and, and what about you, Joe? <laughs> um, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. Um, um, I felt like, I mean, we went into a mission. I was in a military information support team, which we were in Baghdad. We were working in the same office with the State Department. Um, we were doing a lot more of the attribu attributable missions, all the white level. It's U.S. Army putting these on. Um, I felt like the team handovers were really well. Um. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. They, I didn't feel like it was hot garbage. But again, I was also an E4. Um, but my team that I went with had a couple guys that I went with all the way through AIT and language school with. And my AIT class, I think there was only two or three people that didn't have at least a bachelor's. Like we were all kind of older. Um, some of them had masters. And so we we weren't the typical 18-year-old private that doesn't know his ass from his elbow at least i hope so um so we there's people i know today still from the state department in iraq that were convinced that me and my team members were actually like 
captains or majors and we were pulling a psyop on the state department because they couldn't believe that specialists were doing these missions um because at the time uh, i think it's changed diane but at the time you could enlist straight into psyop and now i think you have to reclass into it i think i don't know um you ask like I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're a career counselor. But I felt like at the time, because we were able to do all the attributable missions and it was kind of, we didn't have to, to deal with either the, the gray or the black. It was easier to just go talk to people and go do our missions. And we put on unity missions or unity um, programs that were um, kind of, geared toward the the youths in iraq saying yeah the youths you're not you're not sunni and you're not shia but you're iraqi you're not um kurdish you're iraqi and trying to get that that mission out so i think that because that mission out of the the mist in iraq was all attributable or most of it was um it was a lot easier for that mission to stay Easily functioning, and you know the transitions were easier. And right. but, but again, but like shit, Diane uh, said, uh, putting a square peg in a round hole. I mean, that's kind of a hard sell to uh, Iraqis. Yes, um, <laughs> <laughs> it is. And um, the anthropologist in me had issues with it because I knew that. But again, I was also the specialist you know, on my first deployment that didn't know anything. And I really feel like this job, you got to have a couple deployments in you before you even know what you're doing. Sure. And that must have been very hard. I mean, again, as a, you're an E4, you're given a mission um, that you're, you're, it's literally, you're, that's mission impossible if that's what you're trying to accomplish. But that's because a policy decision was made way above our heads. I mean, when I was in special forces, yeah. they came to us and told us very similar we cannot let this country disintegrate. We cannot allow them to balkanize. We need to keep uh, the country together as one nation. And it's kind of like, I, I get it. That, that comes from a good place, something you're trying to accomplish there. But uh, yeah, it's kind of mission impossible. Without the, knowing the history behind it, that they weren't Iraqi, you put those borders on right, them. Right. And you put those borders on three completely separate cultures, the you know, Sunni, Shia, Kurdish. And then now you're just supposed to say, hey, forget how many thousands of years of who you are and now you're Iraqi. Like we put those borders on them and then we expect them to be okay with it. So how, how did that mission go down? I mean, is there any anecdotes <laughs> or any um, scenarios you can tell us about where you were doing this job and, and some of those either successes or failures or, or difficulties that you had? Um, we had a whole series of kind of like poetry slams. Poetry is a huge thing in Middle Eastern culture. Like if, um the biggest poets in the country are super respected like rock stars here um and so i got to meet like the i don't even know what like the the justin timberlake of iraqi poetry um i got to do a couple missions where we went up to erbil and um got to meet these people and set up uh, concerts and I grew up in, in, you know, middle of nowhere, farmland, Idaho, and I fell asleep on the plane between 
Baghdad and Erbil. And if I hadn't seen some signs in Arabic when we got off the plane and off the base, I would have thought we were in Southern Idaho because there's the pivots on the farmland and there's the wheel, you know, the wheel lines and there's crops that I recognized. And to me, that was really kind of an eye-opening moment because I've done all of this stuff in books and I've studied for years and I've know all of this stuff, but to actually be there and be like, holy shit, there are farmers like I grew up how am I, if I, if somebody came to my, my dad and my grandpa's and said, all of a sudden you're now <laughs> Canadian instead of American, they'd probably be like, I'm going to go farm. What You have no, like, who cares what you say? I still have to feed my family. Right. And that was, that was eye opening for me to, to have it look so similar and help kind of open my eyes to understanding what we were up against. That's uh, super cool. And I did not know that, that you were uh, confabulating with the poets of Iraq. And, and was that yes. scene, poetry was seen, was that seen as the medium that you were going to use to try to convey this message to the, to the nation? It was one of them. There was several. We used, um, we did kind of pop concerts, poetry, um, all kinds, you know, we did the traditional psyop. We had soccer balls and backpacks and a Connex out back. Like anytime we went out, you had those. Um, it was, it was one of the ways that um, we were trying to get everybody to come together with something that they all liked. Mm -hmm. Did you guys work hand in hand with civil affairs for stuff like that? Uh, my team didn't. I know that there were teams that did. I didn't. No. Yeah. And that's the thing with PSYOP, though. You can, Diane and I were in the same country, in the same deployment with the same de battalion in the same year, and we did, nothing we did was similar. Right. So it is completely one of those, it absolutely depends on what team you're at, in what country, at what time. With, with it, it sounds as though it takes a very specific type of personality to to succeed in that field, and with like with with uh, Rangers or SF, there's like a physical selection process that people go through because that's sort of part of what we rely on. And then with SF, they also you know have to do the Robin Sage and things like that. For for your school, for your AIT. Was it academically strenuous, or did did it did it challenge people? Like, was there a weeding out process for people that just weren't a fit for that career field? I think it was all of the above. I mean, we went out to Pineland too on our final culmination at the end of the schoolhouse. Um, I don't. We didn't at the time, at least. I don't know if it's changed. We didn't have the the peer um, select out like um, SF does. Um, but I think all of it was kind of designed to where you would self, um, select out if it wasn't for you. Yeah. Interesting. And Diane, what, what are you allowed to tell us about, uh, about your time in Psy Up? Uh, <laughs> what, what, what can you get into there as far as, uh, your time abroad? Um, I, I don't know. Um, so <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of what I did, um, is probably stuff I shouldn't talk about. So I use that as my gauge of like, okay, maybe I won't talk about it then. Cause I don't feel comfortable, 
sure. um, relaying some of that stuff. But, you know, the, the stuff, the, the projects that I did work on that I could probably talk about would be um, like the, the leaflets that we created for, um, you know, just alerting people that we're coming through this area. So, you know, please, you know, be, be mindful that we're coming through so you don't get run over by our dang trucks or whatever. Right. So um, that sort of stuff was, was okay. Um, and whether or not that's cool guy stuff, I, I don't know. Like I sat at the computer a lot. I did a lot of Photoshop of terrorists running away from tanks and things like that. Like it was, it was fun. Um, you know, here I was just a young 20 year old kid from San Diego that had really never done anything. And then I was, uh, part of something really big. And, um, I, I did get to go and, um, toss some leaflets out somewhere. And, um, that was, was really exciting. And believe me, like before I got on that thing, I was like, okay, is this belt going to unhook? Cause the night before I had a dream that my, you know, they hooked me up to the side of the aircraft and my belt like starts to come undone and here I am like hanging off. Um, but like stupid, stupid shit like that. Right. So, um, my team that I was there with was a bunch of, of, you know, random nerds all put together and we were making these, these products and stuff. And the E4 mafia was really strong on our team. We had, you know, a staff sergeant NCOIC and a captain, um, that were off doing their own thing. So it was us running the shop mostly. And, uh, it was, it was good. We probably did a lot of stuff, stupid crap. We we shouldn't have done, but sure. it's mayhem. Uh, yeah, mafia. of course. <laughs> uh, we, we should be, uh, the E4 mafia doesn't exist. That's just a myth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like fight club, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they stayed there. I don't know where they went. <laughs> um, could you walk us through then, a, the, a little bit of that process? Like, how do you come up with the idea for the pamphlet and the, the, the cartoon? Is that like a jam session you guys have? Is there a process? And then through the whole process of like making it, printing it out, and figuring out how to distribute it and who you're trying to get it to, like that, that whole process of crafting that message and trying to get it out to the target audience, I'd be really interested to hear about. Yeah, so we we definitely had a very, you know, strict layout of of how you go through the process, who you're targeting, you know, what your what your what the commander's intent is, obviously, and then how we're trying to what our ultimate outcome is. And you come up with all these different crazy ideas, all the different people that you could possibly target and the ways you would go through it. And you refine that down um, so that you get rid of all the good idea fairies. And then you get to like the meat of it, of the, of the stuff that would actually work. And we had an amazing interpreter um, on our team. And I was super thankful for him because my six month crash course through Arabic, yeah. I had a kindergarten, you know, like if I spoke to a kindergartner, who knew about the economy, like we could talk, but yeah. about that, no, no. Fellow <laughs> Iraqis? So would, would, would an No, I was, oh, I'm sorry. Would, no, I was, it's Aleph, Bey, Tay, Thay, like that basic. <laughs> would, uh, how would the sort of uh, orders come down or the intent come down? Would it come down, we want you to make a flyer that 
that says this and then you guys would decide how to say that? Or would it be like, we want to influence this segment of the population to think this or to do this and so you guys would, would, formu would formulate the whole process from there? I've seen both. Both? Um, yeah, for sure. Because, you know, it depends on um, whose idea it is. Because obviously, um, officers have a lot of really good ideas. And they want to tell you exactly what you have to do. Um, especially those outside of PSYOP. Um, and being able to take that you know, order that mission and then actually make a usable product because you don't want to, you know, oh, yes, sir, and make this product if it's going to be absolute crap. Um, but I, I mean. Would you guys work like in a writer's room, like in a, like for, for a script sort of, where yeah. is everybody throwing out their ideas or would, would everybody kind of work it on their own and then you'd pitch them or how did that work? How was that process? We definitely had both of those situations. It depends on how how we were given it and, um, you know, what our, our outcome was. A lot of times we would work our own stuff up and then we'd come together and kind of, you know, piece through it. Sometimes we would write up our own um, PSYOP plan and it would pass around the room and people would write the crap out of it. Um, it also depended on the timeline, like how fast you have to get this done and sent back up to get approved and then back out. I mean, if you have all the time in the world, then you can do the writer's room and, do it if you've got 48 hours. Right. There were some products where I was told directly, you have to work on this. And I was not allowed to share with my other teammates what I was working on. So, um, you know, depending on what that mission is, they, they would obviously have different personnel identified for, for missions, but we could be working on completely separate tasks. Interesting. And then, mm -hmm. like, how do you design the pamphlet? Like, uh, are, are you trained to be like a cartoonist, like Calvin and Hobbes? Like, how, how do you? <laughs> no. how, how, does that, how does that take place? You usually have a twenty-five mic on your team, a graphic illustrator, okay. um, at least one in each area. Um, then you can give the basic, like, stick figure drawing, and be like, "Here, make this something." But yeah, artist, artist. Um, being an artist was not part of the schoolhouse. <laughs> I, I have to say that I did not know that there were graphic artists in the military. Neither did, did you know that I. Was MOS? No. I, I just learned something new. That's amazing. Yep. Yeah. The 25 mics, and a lot of them actually, I think their schoolhouse is at Fort Meade. Um, they get stuck doing power, you know, death by PowerPoint for colonels for their entire career, and they hate it. But um, we had some really amazing ones that were. Not only did they, they keep up with the physical um, side of being in special operations, but um, mine on my deployment team, was she was amazing. And it got to the point at the end that she just wasn't our 25 mic that we would hand it to. She was part of the team and would help us and like gave her perspective on the mission and how to get it done. So she was amazing. I'd like to have right. her on the show sometime. <laughs> That'd be a fun one. Her name's Jeanette Shustak. She's a professional photographer now. She's amazing. That's sort of a big deal. <laughs> That's really cool. So when you would get these get these orders or get these ideas, um, these intents, were there metrics established? Like you said that you know you're trying to influence the youths of of Iraq to uh, put aside their their uh, 
Sunniism and Shiism and, and Kurd, Kurdishness and and just be good Iraqi nationals. Like and and for some of your uh, projects, Dan, were were there metrics in place? Was there? Did they know how to capture whether or not a a, a mission was successful or not? So um, there, I mean, there definitely were, um, and on our products. So through our brainstorming sessions and and the psyop process we would determine what types of products would be effective to reach this and if the commander ultimately signed off on that then yes we would be creating these posters these leaflets you know sound bites whatever it was and um i didn't get the feedback um personally on whether a certain product was successful the way I knew if it was successful is if they were asking for more products like that. Right. So um, I ended up being quite successful at targeting, you know, certain types of people. So that was more the lane of, of the products that they would give me. And, and you said you got to participate on some of the actual leaflet drops. And, and was that like, I think maybe Joe was saying, is it literally like you have like a black glad bag full of leaflets that you dump out of a helicopter like no so you have to create the box and that's part of our ait you get to learn how to build the leaflet box um so it's you know like the army has to make everything crazy um so it's a cardboard box that we have to pack the leaflets in in a certain way um so that way cut the box the certain way with the you know your airborne or the what's it called your Thing that you hook into. Oh, your lanyard. Is it like a static line or something like that? Static line. Yes, Thank you. Static line. Static line. Jesus. Yes. God damn it. Yes. So you have to get your static line and then you cut the box a certain way and you wrap it around. And that's one of the things you learn at the schoolhouse that you completely forget once you're done and then relearn once you're there. Yeah. I mean, honestly, so. it probably took a long time to learn how to do, I mean, to develop a, te you know, a technology with a cardboard box that would just distribute leaflets evenly over an area. Right, because you have to take into consideration, you know, the speed that you're flying, the altitude that you're flying in, what the weather conditions are. Like, it, there's a lot of nerd stuff in there for yeah. sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, it sounds funny. Oh, yeah, you've learned how to build a cardboard box, but I'm, I'm sure that the actual execution is much more difficult than it. You know, you can't just drop a bundle of them and they all right. land in the same place or whatever. So. Interesting. Yeah. And where I was at, we had a, um, our own printers there. So we were able to print a, a lot of our own products there in house, um, which was incredibly boring and time consuming. Um, and then we also got to spend quite a few hours at the burn pit disposing of the ones we didn't use, yeah. which was also really exciting. And I'm sure my lungs are going to thank me later on in life. Sure. But yeah. Sure. And the VA is going to be right there by your side. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Right there with us for uh, uh, all of the different injections we got before we went and shots we got before we went to. Yeah. You know, I'd love to take a moment just to dispel some of the myths about PSYOP as well, because um, we have some good questions from viewers that I that I will will ask. But I mean, there's also in here. Uh, 
Uh, I'm just looking for it now. I mean, there are some people chiming in, like, about, uh, I think uh, one of our moderators already deleted them. But people are like, you guys are psyoping America right now. COVID-19 is a psyop. All this, like, kind of, like, people have some pretty wild ideas about psyop and what you guys do. Um, what is the truth? Uh, you know what, what is the reality um, to, to the way a lot of Americans perceive what you guys do? Well, first of all, it's against the Geneva Convention. You can't sign up your own. Um, but really, it's specifically targeted for small areas. Like there, I don't think there's ever been a psyop mission that included as many people that would be needed to make COVID work as a um psyop mission because you'd have to get politicians and healthcare workers and schools and if you've ever tried to have a zoom meeting with more than four people you know how ridiculous it is to try to herd those cats so i think there is you know, like I said at the beginning, marketing is a form of it because you can target your message to whatever population you want, your target audience, and a lot of the same techniques do transfer on the civilian and the military side, but for something that big, I mean, it it boggles my mind on how many people would have to be involved and not say anything about it. Right that it's ridiculous <laughs> and i mean the majority of people that are in the military the majority of of psyopers are regular people like we're not, um you're not twirling you know, your mustaches putting the tied up girl on the railroad tracks it's not like that right we're not like figments of someone's imagination like we're actual human beings we're we're americans right we have families we have um people we care about that live in this country um so we have a vested interest in this as well right so i, I don't know I, I think that that probably you guys get some of the same flack that uh, like the CIA gets and, and, you know, other organizations in the sense that, you know, we've had a number of people, uh, you know, former CIA uh, officers and whatnot on the show. And just so people can see, like, just like, just normal like you guys, people. they're, they're, they're <laughs> relatively people, normal, you know, huh? Relatively <laughs> normal. People. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say, <laughs> I wouldn't say normal, but I, I would say, yeah, I would say, um, you know, not, you know, not comic book supervillains. Yeah. 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 Right. They're so speaking, you know, you talked about not psyop your own. It's uh, also illegal, I should mention, like super illegal, uh under there's the Schmidt Mund Act and other laws. Like it, it it would be illegal for these young ladies to propagandize the American public or for current army psychological operations to run ops on the American public is completely against the law. And, yes. And Congress yeah. And the military are like super conscientious. And actually, why don't I, I throw this one out there to you guys? I'd like to talk about hear your thoughts about psyop in the era, uh, the, the digital era, because now we have um, the notion that we could use the internet to target the enemy or to target foreign populations. But there's always the potential that if you put something on the internet, right. Americans are going to see it, even just by by accident. 
I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, maybe the challenges and difficulties about running modern psychological operations um, in a digital environment. I don't even know where to start. Um, I mean, to me, like we, we talked before we came on about how there's been missions that people wanted to do that was going to target people in specific foreign countries on the other side of the globe and do it through social media. But because it was coming from being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Places in the United States, it had to get not only military approval, but it had to get congressional approval. And not only do none of those people in that chain of command, well, not none, but a lot of those people in that chain of command and I would bet almost nobody in Congress understands what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, it's just so hard to do that all of those get completely shut down and you're not allowed to do it um, through social media. So, I th and, you know, I looked at it, you know, all those those pictures on social media that have teachers holding up the sign saying, I'm trying to teach my sixth graders a lesson that once you put something on the internet, it can't be taken back. So please share and comment where it's shared from. And then you get people all over the globe. I think that's one of the issues because now that you've got, you know, you can record your screen and you can do screenshots and you can do everything. You may be targeting one area, but unlike traditional PSYOP with, you know, speakers on Humvees or, or backpack mounted speakers or anything like that. Once it's out there, you can't, I don't want to say can't, but it's a lot harder to control where it goes in, in the digital world. Right. And I mean, I, I understand the, the hesitation there um, because, you know, we don't, we're not trying to target American citizens, but the enemy doesn't give a shit. Right. Yeah. Right. ISIS, they don't care. I mean, they, well, they're, they're not going to let that slow them down, right? The Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, like, no, you know, yeah. it, they're all good at it and, and they all have an advantage over us. And I, you know, Di I've been out, it'll be seven years in January. Um, Diane has been in a different MOS for a little bit longer than that so i don't think either of us are qualified to speak on what's going on on the black side today but i can almost guarantee that there are a lot of people with ulcers and losing sleep over how you control that because just because somebody else is doing something bad doesn't mean we should do it too. And I have no doubt in my mind that there are those kinds of things going on but i do at least on the lower level, the people I know are trying to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. I also heard some really funny stories, actually, from, uh, I'll just say, U.S. government employees that the CIA thinks PSYOP is running all these high-speed operations targeting the bad guys. PSYOP <laughs> thinks all the CIA is running all these high-speed influence operations um, when really neither are. It's, like, it's probably China doing both. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my god. Like, we are just so far behind on some of this stuff. It's ridiculous. Um, we are. And the army take, I mean, the military in general takes so long to change anything. Like, we're still teaching kids in the schoolhouse how to cut apart 
a cardboard box correctly right. when we probably when that technology was developed in vietnam we probably need to be focusing on something and they may be because diane and i aren't there but um you guys know anything in the military it's going to take another 20 years to catch up to what the civilians and other people are at because it's so hard to get things to change in the military so uh after that 2007 deployment what was the the trajectory for each of you uh, uh, after coming home from that um well i was bound and determined not to stay in um i was pregnant with my first child um my husband was still active duty i wanted to go into the civilian side and do things um so i got out and was out for about a year and a half um i had i joined a reserve psyop unit because a lot of the guys that i had been in with at the same time and then we all got out after our first four years um were getting recalled involuntarily and with a new baby i wanted to be able to control that mm -hmm. so i joined a reserve psyop unit and was in about a year and a half which was a long enough time to realize I did not want to be in the reserves. Um, I liked active duty way better. Um, my life was better on active duty. I think my life worked better on active duty. Um, I came back and re-enlisted to go active duty um, a year and a half later, almost two years later. Um, went back straight to the center of the universe, Fort Bragg. Um, that's, I mean, that's the only place really PSYOP can be. You can always leave and do deployments to be detached or attached to some other unit. Or once you get higher, you do other, you know, you can move around. But, man, Fort Bragg is the center of the universe. You always end up back there. Um, so I came back. I was with, I was ready. We bought a house outside of Fayetteville. I was going to be in for another 20-something years. I was just getting to where I felt like I knew my job better. I'd been in long enough. I'd have enough experiences both on the reserve and active duty side that as a E5 promotable, almost E6, um, I finally felt like I had a little bit of a grasp on my job. Um, I really loved my job, even though it's hard with the, with a family. Like the op tempo is hard because you can only really do your job when you're deployed. Yeah. Um, you can practice and train when you're, at home but you can only really do that job when you're deployed um i was gearing up i was with my team we were getting ready to go to nuakcha mortania and we had a couple more months of stuff to do we we're all gearing up and i did that one last jump out of a helicopter and instead of doing a normal landing it was a ankle ass head landing and um i walked off the drop zone i got my guys in we shook out our shoots and i mean i'm sure you guys know it hurts when you land like even if you do it perfectly yeah. <laughs> you're gonna be sore for a couple days um so i it was still hurting after i got my team in and i went up to the the humvee with the medic and you could already see the bruising coming up over like my boot and so I started unlacing my boot and he was like, no, 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 don't unlace it. Yeah. <laughs> Tighten that shit back up. And so I walked myself into the clinic and for a long, and you know, the nurse didn't believe me. She thought I was faking. I finally get in there and I unlace my boot and it goes, oh. um, 
And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll get you a wheelchair. I'm so sorry. I'm like, you already told me I was faking, lady. Um, and so for a long time, it, I, you know, I was on crutches for a while. And it was my ankle, and, but my ankle healed. And that was God, summer some point. It was freaking hot. You know, you had to do the, oh, God, early jumps because it was too hot to do them in the afternoon. That's all I remember. Um, and then by... I think it was about Halloween. My back had just not healed. Mm. Um, my NCOIC for my team for Mauritania found me laying in the, the team office on the floor because that was the only place that I could ever get comfortable. And about the third day where he found me with like a computer like this reading because I could only get comfortable laying on the floor. He threatened me with an article 15 if I didn't go to the doctor and get my back looked at. And that was kind of the beginning of the end um i because diane was at the battalion level as the um uh career counselor she got to influence who was her battalion or her she was at the group level so she got to decide who was the battalion retention ncos so once again um nepotism is great and so she, instead of getting sent to like a, a warrior transition battalion or things like that, that <laughs> I think are the worst things in the military, um, I got to go to the battalion and just be the retention NCO while we figured out what was going on. Um, and there was probably, what was it, like two years, I think, of, you know, all the injections and the needles in your back and the... Um, all the different things trying to radio frequency ablations and all of that to try to save you because they probably spent $2 million on your brain while they were training you. Um, and it just, I tried to stay in as, and just reclass and go the same as Diane. I wanted to stay in and I wasn't going to be airborne and I wasn't going to be able to be gi joe still and be super cool because you know i was this nobody kid from idaho and all of a sudden i'm i'm in special operations and i'm jumping out of airplanes and i'm doing all this amazing stuff and i that my own family told me i would fail at and i would never get to do so i didn't want to get out i wanted to stay in but the army decided that i was too broken and i would be uh medically retired so i medically retired in 2014. So in the in the meantime, Diane, what what was your path uh, from you know coming home from that initial deployment with your unit, and then you know finding finding your way, I guess, into a, into being a career counselor? Well, I got to um, go on a I got to go to a Blackwater training, um, which was actually super amazing. Um, so they taught us like all the cool guy stuff, and um, I got to do like an unofficial seer class where they threw, uh, they did the training teaching us how to break out of all sorts of different, uh, restraints and whatnot threw us in the back of a van. And I just remember, so I could see kind of through my, uh, uh, pillowcase or whatever it was that they had over my head. And the, the instructor said, okay, everyone who slipped their restraints, raise your hand. And all of us, but one raised our hand and the MPs who had all restrained us were like their jaws dropped. It was just really exciting. <laughs> and, um, I, I loved it. Like, I mean, who wouldn't love doing that sort of stuff, right? Like I get 
pick my way out of handcuffs blindfolded in an airplane hangar. Like it was fun. Um, so, so yeah, the POW camp, I wouldn't use the term love. Uh, <laughs> no, well, no. okay. So mine was, mine was like the friendlier seer, if I could. It was like a, the seer unofficial. So I think maybe that's why I liked it, right? Like it wasn't quite the same. Um, so my experience was dramatically different than a lot of what, um, you know, my, my fellow brothers and sisters have to go through now. Um, but that being said, you know, my personal life really fell very heavily on my decision to not stay in PSYOP because the op tempo was very high. Um, and we did deploy quite a bit. So, um, thankfully, you know, I had that very supportive chain of command and they put me as the retention NCO for the battalion. And in doing that job, I, I fell in love with it. It was fantastic. And so I reclassed to become a career counselor and, um, I've been doing it ever since. So what did, uh, what did you love about being the retention officer? Um, I think it was the fact that I got to talk with other soldiers about their, their life and their goals, you know, I mean, it's, so being a career counselor versus being a retention NCO is a little bit different because it's a lot of hard work. You know, there's a lot of hours that you put in as a career counselor. But as a retention NCO, it's a lot of bullshitting, right? Yeah. Like you just got to talk with people about what's going on with your life and, and having those conversations um, to where like a young soldier doesn't have a plan. They're, oh, I'm just going to get out. And then you talk to him about what the reality of that is. Yeah. She's still angry that I didn't convince her to stay in. <laughs> <laughs> but there was no talking Joe to staying in. She was like getting out hell or high water. It was it was done. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. I should have stayed in and gone officer, but what are you gonna do? Yeah. Um, but you know, having those conversations where um you kind of get that aha moment from from a, a soldier. Um, and they come back to you later, like, Hey, thank you. You know, I got the assignment that I wanted or I got whatever, you know, and they're very thankful that you helped them with that. It just, I got a lot of, um, satisfaction out of doing that job. And so when the opportunity came that I could reclass to do that job, absolutely. And then I went to the school, um, for career counselor and I was like, what the hell did I get into? Cause it was extremely difficult. Um, I felt like it was more strenuous than what I went through with PSYOP. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I made it. So that's not, uh, you know, when you say like career counselor, that's not something that, uh, like, off the top of my head, I would think would be a strenuous school. What, like, what was strenuous about it? What, what was, uh, like, what were some of the major challenges about it? So for, for me personally, I had a lot writing on it. It was sort of like I have to, do this job like I have to pass so I can I can do this job um so a lot of that pressure was was self put on it like when I was going through PSYOP I didn't have quite that same level of like if I don't make it here it's going to be really bad right? right um it's a lot of math and you know the the detail that you have to pay attention to in the career counselor course like you get one day wrong and you have screwed up everything and you completely fail a test based off like one miswritten number right so so how, what was like uh when you say math like what was the 
this is actually fascinating. What what was the curriculum as as a career counselor? Like what? I mean, because in my mind, it would just be you have to know like what the different MOSs are and you know know what the reenlistment bonuses are. Right. So I mean, you know, like the army obviously likes to change everything. So there's specific army math that you have to learn, which is not normal math. Um, and being able to convert that time and knowing if the person was in the ROTC or in the debt program before 1983, they get credit or they don't, you know, like it's stuff that you have to memorize and those fine little details. Um, because you are making a, a contract between the U.S. government and, and an individual and your name is going on the line. So there's, you know, a lot of pressure there to make sure that you don't screw up. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is tell someone, hey, you're getting a $10,000 bonus. And then just kidding, you don't, you know, like then your wife's coming at you or something like, um, I'm good. I don't want any part of that. Interesting. <laughs> And she's really good at her job because she just made E8. She will pin on E8 December 1st. Congratulations. <laughs> awesome. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, let me, uh, let's jump into some uh, <laughs> viewer questions here. Um, so Andrew asks, what were the Meow Cat speakers supposed to achieve? So when, <laughs> when, I, when, I was a, when I was a young trooper out there and the, the tactical PSYOP people pull up with their speaker system playing the cats meowing, what is it that, that the PSYOP people are trying to accomplish with that? Surrender. Did, yeah. <laughs> Drive you insane until you surrender, probably. I mean, I never did cat specifically. We did Barney, but um, pretty much just drive you insane until you're like, I can't handle it more. Take me away from here. I, I think some of it is intimidation as well, right? You're adding that factor of, oh, it's either really annoying with the cat's meow or it's, you know, super overpowering with like Metallica or something that sounds kind of scary, right? So they're trying to get you to stop doing whatever it is that you're doing, um, hopefully in a peaceful manner, obviously, but. I'll never forget that. And I guess his uh, CEO, not CEO, but his captain or whomever told him, hey, uh, you know, take the Humvee up with these speakers and, and up to that hill and play the tank soundtrack. Make it seem like there's a tank up there. That makes a bit and, more and sense. And he's like, yeah. why don't you send a tank up there? We'll put speakers on it, make it sound like a Humvee. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Humvee. Uh, Joey says, Rangers are very much special operations. Thanks for explaining. PsyOps, ladies. Rangers lead the way. PsyOp, Joey. PsyOp. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and he also asks, do a lot of PsyOp soldiers get recruited by the CIA and State Department? So, I, I don't think as many as they would hope for because I had a lot of soldiers who were like, I'm going to go work for the FBI. And I saw them back rather quickly um, before their contract was actually up. So, yeah, I think at, the, at first a lot of people think that would be awesome, and it's a it's a great way to transition. But they're so different. I don't think nearly as many people do it as one either the soldiers would hope or the general like civilians would think. Uh Alex Bennett asks, any fun encounters with DSS when you work with the State Department? 
DSS. Diplomatic. Diplomatic Security Services. The they're like the. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just make sure we're on the yes. <laughs> Bottoms up. Uh, um, go ahead. Yes, I am still well on social media. I'm still really good friends with some of them. Um, they were the ones that. How do I put this? They covered for us a lot because when we were in civilians, we they let us say that we were we, we were them. Um, they introduced us to the, the Brits and the Aussies, and those guys were freaking awesome. Um, Which means that you guys broke general order number one all the time. Never. <laughs> I will plead the fifth. <laughs> there are so many amendments, I can only plead one. <laughs> yep. Um, maybe in another... 20 years or so when everybody that was on my team is off active duty we'll talk about it fair enough well it's not like every uh every captain and above didn't have a bottle of scotch in his or her desk out there so allegedly there's allegedly there's some captains and majors that are are very nervous right now because they know what i could say <laughs> uh, well this this isn't my interview. Let's just say I got some fire pit stories about Iraq. Um, save that for another time. Uh, Hammer and nails, thank you. Uh, and then let's see, where are we here? Andrew, as a retention NCO, did you ever trick anyone who was rude and sign them up for a four year enlistment to be spent above the Arctic Circle? Is this someone that I know? I wonder. <laughs> No, I would never. Like, honestly, um, if somebody was rude, uh, my mindset is like, I, I don't need you. I get paid whether I make mission or not. So if you want to be a dick, you can go be a dick over there. <laughs> Do you uh, guys, out of curiosity, there's always the rumor about recruiters having quotas, and I don't know if that's true or not, but did you guys have, like, were there performance value, were your performance evaluations or art? Are your performance valuations based on your retention records? Um, that, that definitely has some play into it, but um, thankfully we're program managers and the mission for retention is actually the commander's mission. So okay, we just help facilitate that. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Corey says, is PSYOPs for officers a lat transfer, similar to having to be a first lieutenant and try out for SFAS uh, to then be in 18 Alpha? And is DLI as long as 35 Mike slash PMOS? Um, thank you. Um, DLI yes. is going to depend on the language. It, yeah. You, it is a lateral transfer. And DLI is anywhere. Like, it just depends on language. Some of them are a year and a half. Yeah, it goes from it, cat one, uh, which is six months, which is like Spanish and whatnot, up to yeah. four, which like Arabic and Chinese, which are 15 months. Yeah, it, that's a very lawyer answer for you. It depends. <laughs> uh, Alejandro asks, how many psyoppers transition into corporate or social media marketing firms? Natural transition, yes or no? More than in the CIA or the FBI. Yeah, I think marketing is, is more of a natural transition. Um, and it 
just like anything else, if they have that personality because you have to, you know, you schmooze more on the civilian side, but you've got that baseline understanding of how to do it. So definitely more than go into the alphabet organizations. Are there ever uh, marketing campaigns or advertisements, commercials, things like that that you guys see that you're like, man, that's good? Yeah. Um, mostly the bad ones, honestly, because yeah. if they're doing it right, you don't notice. Yeah. Um, but we'll be watching movies or a TV show, and I'm like, oh, look at that product placement, or look at that dig, or... Yeah, yeah. It's just something that becomes after you do it for so long, it becomes ingrained to you to notice it. Yeah. Interesting. So, folks, if you have any questions for Joe and Diane, get them in now. Um, the, the next thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, you guys are ride or dies. So you created together the Sisters in Arms podcast. I want to tell. I want you to tell us um, the genesis of this podcast, how it came together, and, and what you're doing with it. <laughs> Um, well, it was, it was New Year's Eve last year, almost a year ago, and I saw something, how I honestly remember it was, but there was the hashtag sisters in arms, and then there was some comments of like, ah, oh, women can't do that shit, and so that night, like, even before midnight, I was like, hey, Diane, guess what, we're doing a podcast, you're doing this with me, Okay. <laughs> She's like, uh, because I've I've loved podcasts. Like I've been with listening since like serial. You know, like I love them. And when I was commuting to law school and back, podcasts are what kept me awake for that. You know, I commuted eighteen hours a week and like kept me awake. And I I don't think Diane was really <laughs> as versed in podcasts at that point as I was. So luckily she loves me and I said, Hey, we're doing this. And she said, okay, what are we doing? <laughs> and so it took, um, a lot of time we had it all kind of laid out and then COVID hit and my, my personal life, my health kind of took a nosedive, um, Diane PCS. So it took us until July to be able to get the ball rolling and get all that done. But in that, that kind of downtime when I can really do much, I was networking with, um, all of our, our former sisters in arms. One of our, um, one of our friends from our original battalion after the schoolhouse is who created our website. Um, another psyop created our logo cool. um so it was it was kind of a, a group effort to get us going that's how it works in the beginning uh yes. so so what what is it what what why are you guys making this podcast what what's it about okay oh okay. um <laughs> no it's fine um it's the our whole goal is kind of twofold. One, to just tell stories of women veterans throughout history. Um, I've done everything from like the 1600s all the way to OEF, OIF veterans. Um, first part of the podcast, we each tell a story about a different woman veteran somewhere in history. Um, and then we highlight a charity that is doing great things for um, not always specifically women veterans, but we try to at least, you know, lean that way to women veterans. Um, there's a few that we've had, uh, women veterans interactive, um, 
the final salute, a lot of them are focused on women veterans issues, a lot of them being um, homelessness and suicide. Um, women veterans are twice as likely as male veterans to be homeless and four times as likely as uh, women civilians to be homeless. And a lot of that goes into that most shelters that even though they lean towards veterans, they don't allow children. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women veterans, when they get out, end up being single mothers. And so if they can't take their children with them, they can't go there. So we're trying to get these um, charities out that are trying to get those stop gaps because, you know, the VA r- reports only like, God, what was it? It was, I think, 4,300 women were reported as homeless through the VA last year when the actual estimated amount is somewhere around 50 to 55,000. Wow. So there's that many that are falling through the, gra- the gaps because they don't trust the organization. They don't trust the VA. The typical VA patient is a white male aged what, 45 to 60. And so with women now becoming uh, 10% or so, give or take, depending on where you look, of the the veteran population and it's only going up with oef oif veterans they're not only younger there's more of them the va like any other government organization is struggling to keep up with that change and so we're trying to put out the information of these charities to that are are becoming that safety net you were telling me a little bit uh before we before we got started tonight that you feel like, and maybe this plays into also why you created the podcast, that you feel like female veterans are like kind of invisible in society. It's like you're, you're not really there. Yeah. Um, well, I like I refuse to go out to eat on Veterans Day because it's just so insulting. It's not even worth it. Oh, only he gets the meal. Like, you know, it. part of it is um, my personal like i don't want to say healing but my getting over my being bitter and jaded about what happened at the end um i'm using this to help others so that i can get over that um soft is really hemorrhaging talent in so many ways and one of the ways is kind of that genetic lottery that we really don't know until you're about five six years in and you're either falling apart or you're not um you can't really control that after, you know, you have so many jumps under your belt that you finally get degenerative disc or you don't. But the other is the leadership and the leadership, at least from my perspective, I'm sure, you know, I have to do that caveat. It's been a while, things can change, but they expect you to be the best of the best. You are special operations. You are literally GI Joe. You do the best with the little, with the least amount and but we they're not taking into consideration people's they're not taking into consideration people's mental health and op tempo and all of that as breaking people down until it's a triage situation mm-hmm. and the mental health and morale i don't know if 
I, I don't know. I don't know if mental health and morale and suicide levels seem worse in special operations because it's such a small world that you see more of it, or if it's actually on par with the regular army and we just, it's such a small world well, that you we, see it more. You are above average. I, I've seen the statistics okay. and like the internal reporting that SOCOM does. Right. Yeah, we, we are above average. But it's not being addressed until it's a triage situation. So a lot of that kind of played into my being bitter at um, certain leadership and certain battalions that out of respect for some people I won't name, but I like ninja chopped my, the military out of my life at, at, there for a while. And my children didn't even know that I was in and there's no memorabilia hanging up. It's all in Contico boxes in the shop. It's completely gone. And, once my my physical health took a nosedive and i had i had to step back from my second career um it unfortunately gave me the time to think about all of this and how to be able to help me get through all of it maybe a way to do that is to help others so that they don't have to deal with it and i, I was i'm sorry since getting out did, have you utilized the va or tried to utilize va and if so what were your experiences like there Oh. <laughs> um yeah of good and bad just like anything else so when i first got out um we were gonna stay in the fayetteville area before my husband got a job or in the dc area and i tried to get everything set up and i i was god i was like eight months pregnant and i walked in to get everything set up and they're like Oh, I'm sorry. We don't do prenatal care here. Um, if you have issues, like when you go into labor, just go to the ER and they'll help you. And I'm like, it's two, what was it? Mid 2000s in the United States. And you're telling me the VA, because they, they have a baby, they're not gonna be able to help me. Um, and then <laughs> the VA, I, I don't know why, but the West Coast ones seem to be better than the East Coast ones in general. Um, I've ha been very lucky. The VA doctor here in Boise, after was it five or six years, is the first one that was finally able to officially diagnose everything. And it's been a few years of working to get the medications right. But I've got a good doctor there. But as early as was it like two weeks ago? Yes, I walked in. Yeah, I walked in for a scheduled appointment. Like, um, I had to get a, a coronavirus test um, like eight hours before my scheduled appointment. So I walk in, like, "Hi, this is my name. I'm here for this appointment." They've been calling me every day for like three days, so I know where to go. And the lady at the front, like entrance area, who was you know scanning foreheads for fevers and checking everybody, was like, "Um, I'm sorry, you can't be here. This hospital is only for veterans." I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, um, I am the veteran and I have an appointment. That lady right there that's waving at me to come over is telling me to come over here for my appointment. She's like, oh, well, you don't look like a veteran. And I'm like, is it because I'm, you know, I'm young ish? I'm not super young anymore. Young ish? I'm female? Is it because, you know, I've been on steroids for two and a half years, I gained 75 pounds. So because I don't look like I'm running 10 miles a day every day anymore, I can't be a female veteran. So, and, you know, I'm very, 
salty vocal about it yeah. <laughs> so understandably so, I mean, the whole idea well but i can't imagine what other women who are a little less meek or haven't got over that hump yeah. Yeah. to what they're going through yeah diane what's what's your take on all this you're, you're a veteran but you're also still an active duty soldier I mean, do you feel like you're like invisible in society that like uh, some of you had experiences like Joe talks about where it's as if you don't exist um, uh, to people as a soldier or as a veteran? Well, I think now it's a lot better. I mean, there's, a you know, the percentage of women that are in the military is, is significantly more than when I, I first joined. So I just remember for the very first PSYOP ball that I attended... Um, I had a place setting for Sergeant Trina and Mrs. Trina, and I was totally mortified because I had complete, I had provided the information that was oh, required and they still, you know, they it, at that time was the one who was in the military. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you know, calling the doctor to try to make an appointment. Oh, can I have your sponsors social? I love that. Hey, may I have your husband's social? No, it doesn't matter. It's my social. <laughs> and um, I can't tell you how many times, um, you know, my husband has called in to make an appointment or something and they need my social. Um, however, they're asking him for his and he's like, but my wife is the one that's on active duty. I'm not. No, that's okay. We need yours. And then he gives them his and they're like, we don't, we don't see you in the system because you need my wife's social. And then at that point, it, it is apparent, right? So, oh, okay, what's her social? It, you know, like that sort of thing still happens even just, you know, a few weeks ago, that one happened. But um, overall, I don't feel um, as invisible. I've been very fortunate for the teams that I've been a part of um, to have, you know, very supportive teammates and um at my last duty station, I actually got to lead an all-female team. And, um, you know, before I took over that team, you know, I heard a lot of, um, you know, feedback of like, ooh, that, that sounds awful. Like, you know, I can't imagine, you know, because everyone has in their mind, it's just going to be cat fights and, you know, craziness. And um, we did extremely well. Um, there was you know, conflict there, but I don't believe that that was, you know, just because it was an all female team, you know, you're going to have conflict in any team. And we, yeah. you know, we made it through that. And, you know, it, it was, it was phenomenal. And I think being able to show everyone else that we could run a completely successful team um, as females, it, it said a lot to those around us, right? Um, and I'm just, what, I feel like now it's not as bad. But was it all sure. female by design? I, I didn't hear you. Oh, was it all female by design? <laughs> no, it just kind of worked out that way. What, uh, so. We have a question that kind of relates to this. Uh, thanks, Joey. What is the male to female ratio in, in PSYOP? Four to one, I would guess. I mean, maybe five to one. I honestly, both of us have been out of that world for seven or so years. So um, from what I can see from people that are still in, I think it's getting better. Uh -huh. um, but make no mistake, 
any ladies that are thinking about it, it's still the Army. It's still special operations. You absolutely 100% deserve the respect to be a team member. And I'm of the mind, if you can do the job, I don't care about anything else. But you will have thick skin and you need to have thick skin. But there's a difference between having thick skin and letting somebody abuse and harass you. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that will probably happen. And you, so it, it's one thing to have thick skin to be able to, you know, they make a, you know, the sandwich joke. And my, my go-to is like deadpan, like, I don't get it. Why would I make you a sandwich? I was the coffee maker. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you can have thick skin and be deadpan and throw it back at them because you, I mean, you're in the army and you're in special operations and you got to be able to pick and choose those battles but you do not deserve to be harassed and abused and and going into that i mean there was a federal judge a federal district judge in virginia in 2012 that said rape and sexual harassment is an occupational hazard for women in the military so fucking crazy um but, it's, but it's as, as politically incorrect as that statement is, there's also, unfortunately, a truth to it. Um, if you look at the, the sexual assault rates in the U.S. military, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling. It is. And one in three women in the military report the military sexual trauma. And that's just the ones that report it. So it's estimated anywhere from, like, you know, half to even more actually experience it because only a third of them are reporting it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> a little bit of luck, a lot of bit of luck, a little bit of my attitude where I'll just punch you in the dick and a little bit of luck in having good team members that I never experienced the actual abuse. I was plenty of harassment. I mean, I can remember, God, what is that? What's that system called? The light system? <sighs> anyway, I was at a some school thing and we were allowed to wear civilian clothes for the classroom portion. And the instructor, every time he'd walk by my chair, he'd he'd like rub his hand across my back. And every time we were in a, a break, he'd be like, I love your tattoos. And I'm like, I'm married with a kid, you fucker. Like, and so for somebody like me who has had a lot of luck to never be because i did some stupid shit and I, there were situations where i look back now and i'm like oh my god how did i not get like killed or or anything you know but a little bit of luck and a little bit of my attitude that i can't imagine i mean there's so it happens to so many people and it's going to take an entire cultural shift not even in the army but in special operations of everybody shutting that shit down for it to change. Yeah, I have a feeling that he probably did not tell male soldiers that he loved their tattoos. No, and it, you know, the funny part was is I couldn't figure it out because I have a bunch of tattoos on my back, but I've tried to keep them pretty professional. So if I'm in even just, you know, a long sleeve t-shirt or whatever, you can't see him but i guess one day i had a, a shirt on that was see-through and i had a tank top underneath but you could see some of the tattoos sticking on the back and i was just like 
the worst part of it is I couldn't figure out how this guy was seeing my tattoos. Like, do you have a, like a mirror in the bathroom or like a camera in the bathroom? Like, I couldn't creepy. figure it out. But creepy. Yeah, it is creepy, and nobody, none of the guys. It wasn't the guys that I went through school with or in our battalions that were with me in that class. So, but none of them called him out on it. Yeah. Yeah. Why do I have to be the one that says, "Hey, fucker," like, "Ew," right? Don't the other. All the other guys in the class that were watching it should have been like, ew, don't. And until that happens, I don't think things are going to change enough for rape and harassment to not be an occupational hazard. And, and until they stop commanders allowing to handle it in-house, like that's Jackpot. That, just, that just boggles my fucking mind. I don't understand how a criminal matter can be handled in-house at a unit level. Like, what? Right, and... After going to law school and, and being a public defender, I can't imagine one of our own, you know, so a lawyer in your your office, something happened to them, and like, don't worry, the other lawyers are going to take care of it. Like, and what other occupation is that allowed to happen? You, you know where it happens is on college campuses, actually, where they, they handle okay. it. I was thinking, like, after, but you're right. Yep. No, they are because and, and, it goes again, to yeah. That's also mind-boggling. Right. Like you have a violent crime, yeah. how are you allowed to handle that on a college? Like some some college administrators hold a board. Like what? You should be calling right. cops. No, it, and it. Uh, I guess it's not just a soft or military. It's our entire culture that yeah. needs to shift on that. Um. Okay, so I'm going to ask if you could stay uh, for the bonus segment for like 10 minutes, if that's okay. Well, is there anything like Dave and I and, and, and the two of you that we failed to cover or that we didn't bring up anything you want to put out there? Um, our podcast is Sisters in Arms podcast. It's every week on all of the all of the podcast apps. Our website is sistersinarmspodcast.com. And you can go there and find all the links to all the social media and email and all of that. And are, are, I know that you guys probably pick uh, different charities uh, each week, but are are you plugging anything right now? Any charities you want to put out there? <laughs> That's usually Diane's department. We um we do a new charity every two months because okay. that's eight episodes to be able to um, kind of give all of their their programs. So is there is there a particular charity that you guys like to put out to our audience right now and the people who will be watching that if they have a few extra bucks they can go and and you know give it give it to a worthy cause? Oh, one word. Oh, sorry. Look. <laughs> I have a lot of distractions in the background so I'm listening to other stuff going on too so I apologize. Um so right now we have the Women Veterans Interactive. Um they have some really great um, programs to help with transition for women who are transitioning out of the military into the civilian world, because that is dramatically different, um, you know, for anybody leaving the military, when you go from being told what you have to wear and where you go, right. to no one really instructing you. It's, it's difficult. And I think, um, you know, women have very specific issues. So it's nice that there are charities that help with that. And then we also have the final salute which it sounds, you know, um, ominous. Yeah, I guess. But, um, it, it targets, you know, women that fall into that category that, um, are experiencing homelessness or having a hard time with employment. 
Uh, and it, those are both really great organizations for women veterans that, that help all across the country. The, um, financials for them are very, you know, decent. The majority of the money that you donate goes directly to the veterans that you're helping 80 to 90% of it. So, you know, it's a very small portion that actually goes to the overhead of the charity. And then another one that we would like to plug is Project Sanctuary, which um, covers, uh, you know, all veterans and their families. And I think that, so for Joe and I, our podcast isn't, you know, like men hating women only. It's, you know, highlighting an underrepresented group, right? We did get a lot of feedback of, oh, great, right? Like, this is just a bunch of, of women hating men, which we're not, we, that, you know. That's okay, because this podcast is really like me and Dave making a little fort out of couch cushions and like we shoot <laughs> nerf, nerf balls at the girls as they come by in the living room. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, there's a lot of really good charities out there that are set up to help with the specific needs that veterans and their families um, have. So, you know, those are just a few to mention for us. Yeah. And Pro Project Sanctuary was a really good one for me because it included the whole family. And basically what it, it takes service members who are having mental health issues or at risk for suicide. And it not only helps them and brings them into, um, and they do all kinds of events with them, but it brings their family and that family can be whatever you think is a family, whether it's you and a caregiver, whether you it's you and a spouse, whether it's you and your kids, it's whoever you are, it brings them and it focuses on the whole unit because as I'm sure all four of us here know that op tempo is not kind to families and marriages. Right. Um, I have been on both sides of it. I have been the one deployed and I have been the one left home while the spouse is deployed. And every time I will pick being the one deployed than the one left home. Every time. It's so it's, much easier to be deployed than it is to be home. But in Project Sanctuary focuses on both sides. The your family, however you view, the, you view that family and brings them together because one of their stats was even as of 2012, even military spouse suicide had spiked and was at a, um, I think 25 or, you know, 25, no, 25%. There we go. Higher than the baseline, just civilians, because it's so hard when your spouse is in. So Project Sanctuary was an awesome one um, that I really loved because they took the, you know, just like anything medical, mental health, if you're not looking at the whole picture, you're not looking at the whole person, you can fix their their RA or their lupus, but if you're not focusing on the mental health or what's going on in their home, you're not going to help that entire, the whole person. And if you're not focusing on their family, you're not going to help the whole veteran, so. Right. Uh, thank you, B. Piazzi. He says, to all of my sister vets, which includes my wife, um, and thank you to you too. Um, uh, well. We have, I think we got a couple more questions that rolled in. But Andrew, uh, he said the least smart criminal you've dealt with. I don't understand. As like, as an attorney, or in psyop. Uh, maybe as an attorney. Um, the least smart criminal, probably the ones that um, try to say it wasn't them when there's audio and video evidence. <laughs> and 
you know, I have a whole soapbox about, you know, I went to school knowing I was going to be a public defender and I, you know, going into impoverished communities, they need that legal representation. But sometimes you got to be like, man, <laughs> it's a frame. There's, <laughs> they have five cameras of you shoving the bacon down your pants. I cannot defend you in this, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> all right. So check out the Sisters in Arms podcast. Uh, where can people find it? Uh, SistersinArmsPodcast.com. Um, we have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at ArmsPod, A-R-M-S-P-O-D. They're all the same. Um Sisters in our podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, they're all, it's all on our website, sisters in arms podcast.com. Yeah. And, and definitely if, if you guys are interested in, in, in uh, vet issues and military history, I mean, do check out this podcast because it, it's, you know, uh, it's not a, a she woman man hater club. It, they're simply, you know, focusing on, on the history of, of women in military service um, which really doesn't get talked about a lot. So yeah. it, it's it's a great platform and it's it's a great space. And uh, likewise, uh, please like, share, and subscribe to this here YouTube channel. Help us uh, spread us around. Share this video with your friends far and wide. Uh, there's also a link down in the description to our Patreon page if you're interested in supporting us and, and keeping this show going. Um, and you get access to bonus segments like we're, we're going to do in two seconds here. Um, so I think that's it for today's show. Next week, episode, this was episode 70, right? So episode 71 next Friday, it, we're going to have Eben Barlow on the show. Eben was the CEO of Executive Outcomes, uh, a private security firm that took the fight to uh, some really bad actors in Sierra, and, uh, Sierra Leone and Angola back in the day. And he has a new book out about his time as the chairman of a company called Step. They... What were in Uganda working against the Lord's Resistance Army? They were in Nigeria fighting Boko Haram. I'm halfway through the book right now. It's freaking amazing, and uh, you guys are gonna love it. So we will have Eben here next week. Um, tune in for that. And uh, until next time. So thank you again, uh, Joe and Diane. Really appreciate. Thank you, you guys so much for your time. We really us. appreciate it. Thank you for having us. And okay. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.